Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc. Investors Advantage and the Securities America companies are separate entities. The opinions and forecasts expressed are those of the author, may not actually come to pass, and should not be construed as a recommendation of any security or investment plan. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Welcome to Fiscal Fitness with your hosts, John Grace and Daniel Medina. They have all the questions about investing, planning, retirement, and the future. You could say it's all they live for. While it can seem daunting getting everything sorted out and the important questions answered, they'll do their best to make it that much easier. Now, here's John Grace and Daniel Medina. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. John Grayson, Daniel Medina here with Investors Advantage on Fiscal Fitness at Voice America. So glad you had a moment to spend with us. We have about an hour together and we look forward to sharing what we see going on both in short order and looking around the curve in terms of how things may turn out. So we'll cover three primary topics with you, along with the details. And by the way, to the extent that you post uh, questions or call in, uh, and you give us, a, give us a, uh, uh, your email address, we'll provide a copy of my book, Making Finance Make Sense, available to you through Amazon. They'll send you the message uh, in the Kindle edition as a gift. So it's one of the things that we've done to try and make, if you will, a beach entrance to this whole thing called financial planning, money management because it's, it's just the case that so many people are bewildered and, and we're astonished that 25%, that would be one out of every four people you know have no retirement savings, zero, zilch, nada. And the ones that do have some money, roughly 54 to 65, the average account is a whopping $120,000 from the sources that we see. So clearly too many of us don't have any money and too many of us don't have enough money. And these things can be remedied, but we have to give these uh, notions and the concepts more attention. In fact, notice that just in terms of human nature, we tend to spend more time planning weddings and vacations than we do our financial future. I mean, the vacation might be a week, maybe it's a month, the wedding's going to be typically, what, a day, but you've got a lot of events around that. Financial security is going to be 10, 20, 30 years. So maybe we should spend the same amount of time, if not more time, figuring out what's going to happen for me, that would be you, after your last paycheck. How is life going to be? So that's what we like to tackle and help people see. And in fact, on that note, we are now providing free financial planning to all frontline workers. It's our way of saying thank you to the folks who put their lives on the line every day, who have to deal with not being able to make work optional in terms of working from home. They have to report in. So this is our way of saying thank you for keeping our, our butts safe, if you will. And we're gonna do what we can to keep your assets safe so that at some point, you can make work optional and then know what it takes to keep work optional. So that if you want to work part-time, you can, but you don't have to work part-time because you may not get the job or you may find that if you do get the job, the income isn't what it used to be. It is certainly not what it needs to be. So here are the three things that we're going to cover today. We're going to look first at re retirement account withdrawal strategies. There are ways to look at options and that's what we like to see. You know, a coin has two sides along with an edge. So let's look at everything before we dive in. 
And then uh, what we'll also talk about is uh, this COVID thing. We've called it a, a disaster of epic proportions. In many ways, it is exactly that. It's not done with us. We're not done with it. And I mean on a worldwide basis. And, and by the way, that seems to be showing up right now, these, these, this uncertainty in uh, global markets. So has COVID-19 pushed more people into retirement? We'll, we'll take a look at that. And then what we really want to dig into is we noticed that uh, Google has, it's been a hot Google search over the question, will the housing market crash soon? Now, of course, we can't predict the future any better than anybody else. And in fact, we can't predict it at all. But we like, as I say, looking at both sides of the coin, both sides of the equation, the good news, the bad news, the in-between news. And, and, and it's much like feedback, I would submit to you. Feedback is something that people say it's positive or negative. I don't grade it. It's just feedback. Same thing with the news. And the question becomes, how can we play what's going on, perhaps to our advantage, as opposed to wake up in shock and awe after the bottom fell out? The ship will never set sail again. It's on the bottom of the Atlantic. That would be the Titanic. And then, you know, notice what happens from time to time. People like uh, Bernie Madoff show up out of nowhere to, develop a whole lot of trust. And, and by the way, I did have an opportunity to, to get to know uh, a little bit Harry Markopoulos. He's the Bernie Madoff uh, whistleblower. And of course, Bernie Madoff uh, died last week and he was um, you know, thought highly of. Notice we did not know what he was really up to. Now, Harry Markopoulos was after Bernie, but it took 10 years for him to put, to turn on all the lights in the room for us to see exactly what Bernie was doing. But at the end of the day, he had a lot of trust and clearly he wasn't doing any good for anybody other than himself. We're suggesting we're in that kind of environment again. And it was only after the bottom fell out that we looked to see what Bernie was doing. Uh, Warren Buffett says, you only know who's swimming naked when the tide goes out. It's when that tide went out that we suddenly looked at Bernie Madoff and said, oh my God, look at you. We need to put you away. But he had done all the damage he could. What was it, uh, $56 billion? That's a big number. All right, so we'll be looking at this housing market and how we see it in its uh, various characteristics. But first, we always like to bring you up to speed in terms of how the indexes are doing for the year. And what that means is we look today, how is the market doing at the Dow, the S&P 500, and the NASDAQ from January 1 through today's trading? So, you know, these numbers do change throughout the day, but looking at the Dow uh, from January 1 through today, up 247 points, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big gain. Uh, Percentage-wise, almost 0.75%. Of 1%, so 0.73 basis points. Year to date, it's up 11.28. That's a very nice number, particularly for a year to date number from January 1 through 421. And then the SP 500 up 10.81 for the same time frame. It's also having a positive day. We had a, what, two or three negative days. We'll come back to that and talk about what we think is happening. And this is where this is, this kind of helps tell the whole story. Last year, as you recall, it was the NASDAQ that was off to the races, hitting new highs every day. Today, we noticed the NASDAQ and, and certainly crushing the S&P and the Dow. But here today, we see things have changed a little bit because while the NASDAQ is up 7.68 year to date, that's uh, vastly different than where it was a year ago and certainly not even close to the 11.28% we've seen 
so far in the Dow. So there seems to be maybe a couple of things going on here. One, last year, we were primarily investing for growth. This year, it seems like there's been a significant shift towards value. But there's also something else going on that we saw back in 2000 and 2008. And that's kind of a, a market disconnect. In other words, all the indexes weren't doing as well at the same time. We saw, particularly back in 2000, it was the NASDAQ composite that was the winner through the last half of the decade of the 90s. And then it was a huge loser in all of 30 months in the first decade, you know, 2000 to 2002, first part of that decade. So what often happens is the indexes or the companies that have blown through the roof are the same ones that are first to come crashing through the floor. They suddenly look like Humpty Dumpty and we can't put them back together again. So with NASDAQ, again, 2000, we saw a lot of the tech companies, everybody was a dot-com, right? Uh, but the ones that we didn't know so well started faltering and then the larger ones started faltering and then the contagion spread to the S&P and the Dow. That would not surprise us from a standpoint of seeing some kind of an event like what happened in 2000 happening right now, right before your very eyes. And, and, and let me give you a couple of numbers that you might want to focus on. Uh, that would be the Dow at 34,000 to 35,000 and the S&P of 4050 to 4200. Our research team did research suggests that these might be the ceilings for the indexes at this particular time and that there is what they call a megaphone pattern that may provide a significant decline. And they're saying it could be as much as 40 to 50%. And that could be the first leg down. They go on to say, notice in 2018, we saw a 20% loss. And in 2020, from February 19th through March 23rd, there was a 35% loss. The thing to observe there is that the second loss was more severe than the first loss. They're suggesting that uh, the, this is a trend. In other words, the next loss will, will likely, in their opinion, be lower than the first two losses. So this is something you want to pay attention to. And of course, you can't put Humpty Dumpty together again after it's all fallen apart, but it would be appropriate for you while you were, we're seeing these, these highs to figure out what kind of lows can you live with? How much loss can you accept? And then can you design the portfolio in such a way where it might perform within your parameters so that, for example, if your account's off 2% in the first quarter when last year uh, the S&P 500 was off like 20%, now you can see that, gee whiz, uh, the S&P's done worse. I'm happy with 2% as opposed to 20%. Therein gives you some cold, hard comfort that here things kind of went south, literally, but my account didn't go down as far as the market went down. And that's what we're looking for is, is that a possibility? Is there a way to put your portfolio together in such a way where it performs while you're busy moving to safety when the market's becoming unglued and then getting back into risk assets when the coast is clear? So uh, with that, let's turn our attention to the retirement account withdrawal strategies. And Daniel, I, I think uh, you found some things here uh, that people can do to avoid penalties uh, in relative to their required annual distributions. But you, I think it's important to also help people understand what that age is where those required minimum distributions, everybody refers to them as RMDs, what age that is now so that we can get over the way it was and, 
and, and where it is today. So what are you seeing with this? Uh, what, what, what can people do with their uh, required minimum distributions in, in terms of uh, strategies? Daniel? Uh, I love this topic for a few reasons, but one, it's, it's probably the most under talked about issue when it comes to retirement. No one ever talks about how to take money out of their accounts. Whenever you're, if you're, if you're, if you're looking at retirement strategies, um, it's always how to put money together and where to invest it. it. No one ever talks about how to take it out, which is a huge part of the puzzle that most people miss. You spend your whole life putting this money together to sometime live on it. And then no one ever tells you how you should be withdrawing it, what makes the most sense for your situation. And for everyone, it's different. If you, if you have pension income or a, big, a good pension income plus social security or something else, then or rental income, you have other sources of income, then you may not need your retirement. Um, you may not need your retirement money to live off of. So how to withdraw it becomes very important because you don't want to get taxed more than you have to. So this is a subject that, that I'm pretty passionate about because it's, it's just so, it's just not talked about enough. And this is something we like to focus on a lot when we're talking to our clients about how they're going to distribute their money and what's the most efficient way to do that. So we're going to talk about some retirement withdrawal strategies. And the first one for, for most people, and this is this particularly makes sense if you have some pension income or you have a significant amount of social security income, or you just don't need withdrawals from your retirement accounts, and that's taking required minimum distributions only. And the acronym for that that John mentioned is RMDs. So we typically refer to it. They start now, now they start at age 72. A couple of years ago, that was changed. It was 70 and a half. Now it's 72. So once you hit 72, the IRS requires that you take a certain percentage of your retirement account every year. That percentage goes up. It's based on a single, on your life expectancy table provided by the IRS. And if you don't take a withdrawal, it's a 50% penalty on the dollar amount you were supposed to take. So if you had a $1,000 required distribution and you didn't take it, you still have to take your $1,000 distribution plus you owe $500 to the IRS as a penalty on top of that. This will, that's a big penalty. That's a big penalty. <laughs> and that's it's something we, we, we always like to talk about way in advance because it, it typically surprises people. Uh, they don't, one, they don't know they have to take it. Two, they don't know when they have to take it. And for your first distribution, you have to take it by April 1st of the year after you turn 72. So your first distribution, you have a little grace period. Uh, you have to take it before tax, basically the tax deadline for the next year. And then going forward, you have to take it in the calendar year. So and there's a the deadline, is that not right? Uh, every, 1231, yeah, it, it has to be in the calendar year to the end of that year to miss, miss the penalty. As long as you get the money out within the calendar year, you're good. Now, if you miss the first, if you push off the first distribution to the next year, then you have to take two distributions that year. But that's 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 the way it works. And, and again, two distributions, that's probably going to make for a rather significant increase in your tax obligation. Yeah, you'll probably just about double your taxes on that one. And for some, sometimes it makes sense to push it off if you're going to retire uh, at, at, in that year. You might have some more income. It might make sense to push it off. But uh, for the most part, we, we start we recommend starting distributions at when you're supposed to and not push it off. Second. Yeah, please. Ahead, no, well, I mean, you've got to talk about, uh, you know, the area that you can avoid the 10% penalty. That's important. Where you can avoid, well, as long as you're, as long as there, there's a few ways to miss the 10% penalty, penalty applies to under 59 and a half. 
So if you're under 59 and a half and you take a withdrawal from a retirement account, there's a 10% penalty on top of your regular taxes. The important note, a lot of people ask us, how do you avoid taxes on a traditional retirement account? There's no way to avoid taxes. There is no way. You can sometimes avoid the penalty if you're under 59 and a half or you have a qualifying event, um, like it's to say, like for, if I off the top of my head, if you have a medical emergency or if, you're, if, you're, if, it's, the, if it's going to save your primary house, if it's like in foreclosure, um, that's, that's an exception. Um, if you take a distribution from your retirement account, from your company's retirement account at age 55, because you're not there anymore, that's an exemption. So there's a few ways to miss the penalty, uh, but you never ever miss the tax. That's always applies. No exceptions. No exceptions. Tax always applies. So now the second strategy is to withdraw, withdraw from your retirement account when you're in a lower tax bracket. Now, this makes sense for people that may, maybe, you, maybe you're not retiring at, age, at, at 59 or at 60. You're going to wait till you're 70 to retire. But between 59 and a half and 72, you're not required to take distributions from that account. So because you're not retired, then you may not take anything from that retirement account. It's not a requirement. You don't have to take it. You just save it, you leave it there until you actually do need it. This will avoid paying taxes on it. And when you need it is declared by the IRS when you need, at 72, right? Declared declare by your income needs or age 72. There right? you go. Whichever comes first. Right. And you're not going to get away from the tax. So we'll, we'll leave it there, put it on hold. We'll be right back and pick up where we left off, folks. Uh, we'll have a short break and we'll see you right back here on the other side. Please stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit ybpoor.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's ybpoor.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service, and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. 
To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, my friends. John Grayson, Daniel Medita here, my co-host in uh, crime, if you will, uh, here on Fiscal Fitness at uh, Voice America. So glad you're spending some time with us. And we're really digging into uh, what can people do to uh, relative to withdrawal strategies from primarily their, uh, their retirement accounts. And please make sure you understand and tell your friends there ain't no way you could take a dime out without paying the tax. So don't believe, as some people want to, that there must be some kind of a way I could put all this money in, deduct the contributions, enjoy tax-deferred growth, and then take it out when I want and not pay the tax. There is no way. So don't be, uh, don't be misled, all right? Don't be so gullible. There has to be a way. There is no way according to the law. And if the law finds that you were supposed to take a withdrawal and you did not, the law can impose as much as a 50% penalty on the withdrawal that you're supposed to take in addition to the withdrawal. So let's understand the rules. You know, there is, if the lights are on in the room, the referee is the IRS, and you just don't want to mess with the IRS. But what can, else can we do, Daniel, uh, relative to strategies on uh, re, uh, account withdrawals from retirement accounts? So the third one is one we've talked about a lot, and we're going to talk about it all the time because we're big fans of this, and that's converting money to a Roth IRA. And in a Roth IRA, you're never required to take distributions from the account because it's already been taxed, and when the money comes out, it's tax-free. This can make a lot of sense for people um, who don't, who to to possibly start stop working in their 60s, don't have to start taking money out to, to require distributions. They have other income to sustain themselves. So it makes sense to start converting some of that money to Roth IRAs, or you could do it in low income years for whatever reason. If you have a year that, that you're, you're making less income, um, it, it could make sense to start converting some of those dollars to Roth IRA. You pay the tax up front and then you never pay the tax again. Well, and you know, it, we see people who are accumulating cash right now and yet they're going to have to start taking these withdrawals. Sometimes it makes sense to look at your alternatives. In other words, if you were to take, you're going to pay the tax, right? So maybe you pay the tax up front. Maybe you pay it on a portion of what you have in a traditional retirement account. Maybe you put yourself on a schedule that says, all I want to do is pay $5,000 a year. I, I can't imagine writing a check for any more than that. So you put yourself on a schedule so that in five years, you could have paid $125,000 up front. Uh, five times five is 25, sorry. But now we can look to see what kind of amount that would have allowed you to transfer year, year, year for five years, and you don't take the bite up front. But what you're also doing is I think we can all agree that tax rates have got to go up, federal and state, believe it or don't, it's got to happen. It's just a matter of when. But certainly that's the uncertainty. What can you do when you take advantage of certainty? You can pay the tax now. And now you know you've got some money in position where yes, you have to take it out at 72. Yes, you, the IRS says every year that amount you take out has to increase. You can't stop it, you can't slow it down. But if you have some money over here in Roth IRA where you get to decide, do I wanna take the withdrawal? How much do I wanna take? But I know whatever amount I take, whatever I choose to, nobody is dictating to me how much I must withdraw. And I know whatever I do withdraw is not gonna be taxed again because I already pay the tax maybe it was five years ago when, guess what? I was in a lower tax bracket. 
than I am today. And, and let's just look at history for a minute. And I, this is one of the things I like to say uh, here in America. I think we, we don't learn so much from history because we're so busy repeating it. Back in 1982, your federal tax rate, most people don't remember, was just 70%, federal alone. So when people are really complaining about taxes, I think it's healthy to um, look back a little bit and go, well, let's see, uh, who would you like, a 30 or 40 or a 70? <laughs> All the rates since the 80s have been lower than they were then. And by the way, the highs were back around World War II at, get this, 92, 94% federal only. Now you had to make real money, both in the 70s and, and, and around World War II. But the point is that tax rates are probably about as low as you're going to see for the rest of your life. And as I say, it might make some sense to pay the tax now. Uh, that gives you uh, certainty. You're done. You're free to go with this money. What's your fourth reason uh, or fourth way to take advantage of uh, withdrawal options, Daniel? So the fourth one is actually the only way to avoid taxes, kind of. Not actually avoiding taxes, but it's charitable giving. Instead of taking the money out and, and spending it, you're taking the money out of a retirement account and donating it to a charity. It has to be an eligible charity, a 5013C, and they have to receive the money directly. The money can't go to you and then you turn around and, and donate to the charity. It has to go directly from your retirement account to the charity. And then you can you can essentially not claim that income on your, on your taxes. Uh, it's a tax-free distribution because you're donating and you're not receiving it yourself. That's the only way that you can really re uh, avoid the taxes. And you're just kind of avoiding the taxes because it's charitable distribution. You don't get to spend that money yourself. <laughs> but you get the good feelings of saying, well, I have to take the withdrawal. It's, not, it's, it's nice not to have to pay the tax, but I can't take the money and not pay the tax. I have to give the money in that amount. And you decide how much it is. But to the extent that it is to a viable charity, it is uh, not a taxable event to you. And that way you're giving not cash, you're giving in kind almost, think of it that way, uh, so that you could certainly make your charitable contributions, whether it's to the alma mater or the school district or, you know, the church, for example. And that way they, you, they could have a predictable in, income stream from them for them provided by you. All right. So do we cover that pretty well? Have we done I with that we one? Did. All yeah, right. the last thing I want to say is everyone out there, make sure you ask the question to whoever you're working on with uh, on, on on just planning in general, financial planning. How are we going to withdraw my money from my retirement accounts? We spent all this time putting it together. What's our strategy to take it out? Well, and you know, on that note, it's also healthy. We like to do this with our clients is help them see the schedule, help them see the way the trajectory is right now. In other words, if you're going to be taking withdrawals for the next 20 years, what will the taxes be? How much do I have to take out? How much do I have to pay in tax? See it in advance. We generally don't do that. The CPAs and the securities industry just keeps telling you, put all the money in tax deferred accounts. You get tax-free growth. It probably contributes 30% more to your account balance. That's all true. But we don't help you see when you start taking these withdrawals, it's pretty innocuous. It's 70 and a half as it was or 72 as it is right now to start those withdrawals. But stick around to 8590 and you may find the withdrawal rate alone is double digits. So, and then, of course, we're going to add on top of that, you know, if there's a 50% decline to your account value and an 11% withdrawal, you can see this plane's coming out of the sky and it's not going to be a pretty landing. It's going to be a very hard landing. So 
take a look to see what kind of taxes you're expecting to pay if you're taking withdrawals for the next 10, 20 years, just as you see what that schedule is. And then you might be able to look at, well, suppose I were to convert some of that money to a Roth right now, and that takes it out of that particular schedule. Okay, so our big uh, item that really caught our attention is this uh, housing market. You know, it seems to be officially overheating everywhere. Everybody wants to know how long it will last. Oh, did I miss our second one? Oh, thank you. So let's see, I'm sorry. Before we get to the housing crash, which is the big news, how about uh, COVID-19? What is it doing in terms of causing people to retire earlier? What are you seeing here, Daniel? This is actually really interesting because whenever we go through periods of a lot of stress, like the Great Recession, like the COVID, we expect people we expect it to, to make big impacts on people's finances. And oftentimes it'll force people to retire earlier than they expected. Now, for most people, we have the, the fantasy that we're gonna work until we can't no more and then we'll stop working and our, our, our social security will take care of us. But that's typically not what happens. It's typically some kind of emergency forces people to stop working. And in this case, it was the pandemic. And if you think about it, if you were somebody that actually had to go to work every day, actually leave the house and go to work, and now suddenly you can't leave the house and the world is changing, maybe you took the opportunity to stop working or you lost your job and you never went back to work. So you just retired early. And many times uh, that's at a time when, one, it's uh, a health issue, maybe yours, someone in the family that causes you or them to stop working sooner than you expected. And then the, the other piece of the puzzle, particularly if people are 50 to 61, in most cases, they're just not eligible for social security. Uh, they classify themselves as retired, but uh, you're, you're effectively all on your own. So it's been interesting to see uh, how many people, and, and according to This Is Market Watch, suggesting that uh, it's a little difficult to really discern how they are quantifying some of the numbers in terms of how many people are retiring, because there are more people who are retiring, that are getting old enough to retire than there were like in the past. But they summarize by saying that uh, the, the lower income as well as the higher income, uh, thanks to COVID-19, has pushed more people into retirement. Uh, and, and this is a, an answer from the Center for Retirement Research Study, which compared the outcomes for the COVID recession with those for the Great Recession and for 2019, which of course was a, a year of strong growth. Uh, the numbers also comes from the US Census Bureau Current Policy Population Survey. It's a unique uh, sampling structure, which makes it possible to follow people over time. Uh, do you think this will continue? Yeah, I think it will continue. I think uh, pe people are getting older and it's getting, <laughs> the world is getting more difficult. So I don't think, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. So if you're, if you're in your sixties now, and the question is, do you keep doing what you're doing and struggling to, to, to get to work or, or, or adapt to this new world? Or do you just retire? And a lot of people are on the fence. I think they're just going to retire because why not? Yeah. It, it makes a lot of sense. And, and then people are, find themselves scrapping, right? Because uh, if you're not working, certainly you don't have the same income. If you don't have the resources, you don't have enough behind door number one to live the way you did when you were working. And, and, and by the way, when we're all looking for uh, folks to get back on the job, we are seeing, I think, uh, uh, a situation that may develop where folks are getting back to work 
but it's not at the same income level in the current opportunities that they lost uh, just a year or two ago. By the way, we saw this exactly happen during 2008, where you know we're looking at uh, the jobless rate being so low. But what you want to do is look a bit a little bit closer under the hood to discover while people might have a job, it's not the same income as the job they lost, where it was before COVID or before 2008. So just seeing the jobless rate improve, that that that's good news. But as I say, you want to look at, at the end of the day, am I making the same money or more? Uh, and the way you might want to look at it is, um, I wish right here and now, the average household income was $100,000. I just, it would just change everything. Uh, because when you look at household income, as we've discussed, you know, just 50 years ago, average household income in America was approximately $10,000. Today, it's approximately $65,000. And there's some people who just look, oh my goodness, more people are making more money than ever. Yeah, but let's understand the cost of living for, particularly when it comes to real estate, when it comes to healthcare, uh, when it comes to education, all of those numbers have increased faster than both the official rate of inflation and the rate of increase that people have on average seen relative to their, to, their, to their annual income. And we look at annual income, whether it's one or two people that's working. So uh, we'll talk more about that when we talk about uh, what's going on in the housing market, because some of these things uh, you know, look like everything's going just fine. And as we talked about uh, good old Bernie Madoff, don't you love his initials, by the way? Um, you know, you don't know who's uh, swimming naked until the tide goes out, and then there's Bernie there. Yeah, there, there he is, and maybe with a whole bunch of other people, his friends. Uh, but suddenly, it, you can see that everybody's swimming naked, and now it's a little bit uncomfortable for for everyone. I think the biggest takeaway from this information, John, is have have a plan because you never know what's gonna force you to stop working. Uh, at any given point. But if you're proper, if you have a plan that covers all these different possible scenarios, for example, if you stop working, uh, if you have to stop working today, do you have enough uh, savings to keep you, keep you, keep you going until you have something going again? Or if you're suddenly forced to retire today, could you afford that? Do you have enough money saved and enough sources of income to keep you going through your retirement? Most people just don't do the work to, to, to know that if they even could do that let alone when it, when it happens suddenly, then they're just kind of thrown to the wind and this, whatever happens, happens. And that's how real tragedies happen. And that's how we hear stories about people who have to go back to work in their seventies or their eighties because they don't have anything, any other way to, to survive. Yeah. And it's, it's our trademark. We're really pleased with uh, ladies and gentlemen. It's uh, the proof is in the planning. The planning is so important. And most of us don't do that. We throw the dice, we uh, throw the dart, and uh, whatever we put the dart on goes up in value. We cheer. If it goes down, we, we commiserate. We feel terrible. Uh, but it, what are we trying to do here? So the planning is so important. And to have backup plans is, is so important. One couple we've uh, been meeting with, their agenda, their plan, if you will, is that the house has to go up and the stocks have to go up. Really? That's your plan? Well, yeah. If I uh, can get enough growth in the stock market and I can keep adding to my account, uh, that will help. And I need my house to appreciate so that we can do a reverse mortgage. That's our plan. So you're banking on both the housing prices going up and stock prices going up at the same time 
in the next two or three years. That's your plan. That sounds more to me like you are using hope as a strategy because suppose one or both of them reverse themselves. Now, what are you going to do? So we want you to look at the story from every angle and have different approaches, have more than one arrow in your quiver so that you can see, well, this might work, that might work. Something's going to work, but we're not just being completely 100% hopeful, sticking our heads in the sand, not looking at how things can turn upside down overnight. And, and then we're left to be in shock and awe, or it's more like an OS moment that stands for oh shucks, right? So we want to have multiple strategies to see if we can't reach the same conclusion as opposed to just one way to go. And we also want to have multiple income strategies. We've got one couple where they're looking at uh, taking six to eight million dollars and, and perhaps buying a hotel and then uh, not having any loan against it, but taking all of the cash to buy the hotel outright. Now, I mean, that might work, but if, uh, I mean, the, good, the timing might be good for them because I think we see that uh, commercial real estate price or hotel prices last year were off 25%. So it might be a good time to buy. But if you put all of your eggs in one basket, and let's suppose COVID-20 shows up, 21, 22, next year, two years from now, and now we're going through another period where everybody's on lockdown in your restaurant, there's nobody coming there, nobody's coming to the hotel. What are you going to do with all that money sitting in that beautiful, magnificent hotel that nobody's visiting? So we're always anxious to help people recognize we want more than one way to try and get from point A to point B. Just as you have a map, you have different ways to go about it, but there's different ways to get to the same point as opposed to only one way. So let's look at all of the ways and determine which one might be appropriate for you. 100% customized, but don't get locked in to say, this is the only thing I can do. We think the odds can turn on you in a nanosecond. So right now we will pause for a quick break my friends and Daniel Medina and John Grace will be right back with you looking at this crazy housing market. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit ybpoor.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's ybpoor.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service, and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. 
The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, folks. John Grace and Daniel Medina here. So glad that you chose to spend an hour with us this afternoon. And by the way, we'll be right back here a week from today on the 28th from 12 to 1 Pacific time. Uh, and we'll have a hot topic or two or three to put on the, the table for you to consider. But as we say, we're, we're about looking at these issues, not in a biased way, but in as complete as we possibly can with as much uh, clarity um, and transparency to look at both sides of the equation along with the edge so that you figure out how you want to play the game. And right now we're looking at this housing market. What got our attention is that apparently uh, the first week of April, Google reported that uh, there had been a spike of 2,400% in the past month, people asking the question, when is the housing market going to crash? That's an interesting question. Uh, the, you know, we all, a lot of markets move on momentum and, and that momentum in some cases is boiled, buoyed by expectations. So it is interesting that people uh, apparently at the start of the month, 42% of homes were selling for more than their list price. But people are wondering, is this a peak? We'll dig into this a little bit further, but just to talk about the good news, you know, the 42% the of homes selling for more than their list price, according to Redfin, was 16 percentage points higher than the same period a year ago. And, and this is something that concerns us. So we wanna, we wanna talk about what's going on with the housing market. We all know the good news, the people are not selling and the ones who are, are getting top dollar and there's all kind of backup offers, the way above listing price. But let, let, let's start here. Let's start with a little history. This is 1635 to 1637. It, you may remember studying this in school that always caught my imagination and we studied it with the Dent research team. And that was the tulip bubble. Uh, which at, at between, in Holland, roughly be, starting around 1635, this is mind-blowing, with a box of tulips, bulbs, you could buy an estate. About three years later, 1637, 1638, the prices came back down to normal prices, maybe the equivalent of a lemon, who knows. But my real point here is notice when things go crazy, sometimes they go really crazy. It just becomes unimaginable that a box of tulips would be sufficient with which to buy an estate. But it also suggests that these patterns occur. And more often than not, we're 
all in it for the upside and we're none of us prepared for the downside, which could be way disastrous to our wealth along with our health. So uh, there are some suggestions that the housing market may be in a bubble. And, and I believe that that makes sense to me. And it may be partly thankful to COVID where you know, people are trading up and even retirees and those with assets, boomers are trading up, you know, using the equity to, to get a, an even larger house. But we've got to recognize that at some point bubbles burst. The bigger the bubble, the bigger the burst. Seven-year-olds all around the world know this. So let's be wary of fear of missing out and trying to catch the next, you know, back in the 2000s, what was the next dot company, right? That's going through the roof. Right now, people are piling in to buy these homes at, at, at nosebleed levels. And it is conceivable that uh, this bubble will burst. And let me give you a couple of ways that we can see this, this happening. And then we'll talk about uh, some of the housing markets that seem to be particularly poised, 50 of them in this list, for a bubble to burst. Uh, so keep in mind that 78 is an interesting age. It's one that most of us don't recognize, but it is the age the Census Bureau shows us, and when we bother to go look at the data, it's the age at which most Americans simply sell their homes. Now, who knows it, why it's 78? But that's the average. Who knows why the average buying age is 31 for the first house and 41 for the biggest house? That just happens to be the pattern that we're in. And I can assure you, as an old Boy Scout trying to work on my Eagle badge, hiking 50 miles across uh, the New Mexico plains, it, it, it is the case that when you're in the middle or the back of a herd of cows, the view and the smell do not change. And cows are known for taking a dump as they walk. So if you're amidst them or behind them, guess what? That's exactly what you're stepping in. And it's fresh and it's smelly. But you have to get your troop together and notice that there's an opening and collect yourselves and get ahead of the herd of cows. And that way it's a whole new ball game. But now you have a different job and that's to make sure you stay ahead of the curve. <laughs> so, you know, ahead of the herd. So we wanna help people see this is what the herd mentality is doing. You decide if you wanna be uh, in, the, in the middle of it, at the back or ahead of the curve and ahead of the, the herd so that you're doing what you wanna do as opposed to what everybody else is doing at the same time. So so 78 is the age at which most people sell. And notice that boomers born 46, 1946 to 1964, right now, 2021, are 57 to 75. Hmm. Here we go. We're coming to the age at which, on average, people sell their homes. 78 is also notable, thanks to the last report we saw from the CDC. You may have seen this just a month or two ago that the CDD, CDC announced the average life expectancy for those of us in these United States of America has come backwards a full year from 79 in 2019 to 78 in 2020. And they attest that it's completely a result of COVID. By the way, if we look at uh, Canada to our North, Japan across the Pacific, the UK across the Atlantic, um, those countries, Canada, the UK, um, and Japan, the, the people in those countries, the average life expectancy is into their 80s. So we've been going backwards and they've been going forward. 
So, you know, we all act like we're in our 50s and our 60s or our 40s, and it's never going to stop. At some point, it's going to stop. And we all know when the music stops on the carousel, we all have to get off. So we think that the, this, this is a bubble. And, and, and I would suggest to you, if you have a property that you don't really care for, you don't really need anymore, or a bunch of equity that has uh, you know, been a nice balloon, do you, would it be okay for that equity to drop by 50%? Could, could you live with that? If you could, go with God. If you can't, maybe now's the time to sell. And maybe you sell high, don't buy anything, and buy low, once prices have come to meet you. But now you're, you're more in the game as opposed to hoping that equity gets back to the levels that it was. And again, hope is not a strategy, but if you have the cash, who cares what prices do? It's when you don't have the cash and you see prices drop and you hope that they come back, but let's suppose they do or do not on your time frame that you really feel stuck and I, it's hard to have a nice day. And, and as we've talked before, We've seen right here in the United States of America after the Great Depression, New York real estate followed the stock market in decline. Stocks fell first, 80, 89%, took 25 years to get back to even. Uh, New York real estate fell second, took about 70% of the loss from their highs and took about four decades, 40 years to get back to even. And remember life expectancy for those adults in, their, in the 1900s was mid fifties. So if we were adults and we had a million dollars in stocks that dropped to about 108,000, a million dollars in real estate dropped to about 300,000, you were the $2 million woman or the $2 million man or the $2 million couple, and now you have 400,000 and prices do not come back while you're still here. So that's why it's so important to really look to see what kind of, what kind of loss can you weather, whether it's to real estate or whether it's stocks, Maybe it makes time, we understand, buy low, sell high. Maybe that logic makes sense to some of these properties that people own. And in fact, I was talking to a friend of mine who happens to own 10 properties, and I suggested that she sell half of them. That way, you've moved money off the table. Doesn't that kind of make sense from time to time when you're in Vegas? Put the money in your pocket, put the popcorn in your lap, the money in your wallet and see what happens, but don't have any angst or any equity in the equation. What, what do they say? Uh, cash is king. What do they say about equity? I hear crickets when you talk about equity. So it, it just might not come back in your time frame, and it might not come back to these levels because let's understand, we have yet to experience 76 million people came into the equation. We know that story. We have yet to see 76 million people pass on go to heaven. And if it is the case that 24%, 76 million people of the US go to heaven and the inventory of particularly residential housing remains the same, what do you think is going to happen with prices along with rents? Some people would suggest, and I would agree, they will probably decline. So Daniel, you, you, we were looking at a, a list of uh, locations around the country that might seem to be particularly well poised to be first in this uh, experience of a, of a decline. Give us an idea of what some of those areas are, please. Well, I was surprised to see actually uh, where our office is located in uh, Thousand Oaks, California on this list at number, number 48. Yes. And I was super surprised to see that. I didn't think we were big enough to, to, to be on any map. To even be counted, right? <laughs> to even be counted. <laughs> so aside from that, going down this list, there's some big cities, Dallas, 
uh, Metro Rochester, New York, Oklahoma City, uh, Atlanta. There's uh, there's some big San Diego Metro, San Diego, I'm sorry, Tucson, Arizona, Riverside, California, uh, Daytona, and then going down to the end of the list, I believe the top uh, three is New Orleans Metro area, New York Metro, and New Haven, uh, Connecticut. So that's okay. a, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of areas that are susceptible to to a decline, and I think to your point is sometimes it takes sometimes it's better to take the known than the unknown, and if you are going to need the money that you have or the equity that you have in your house to survive through retirement, now's a great time to think about selling it because we are at all time highs. And if, even, if it, even if it doesn't bust, sometimes it makes sense to take the known. And the funny thing about bubbles is you never know you're in a bubble until it bursts. And when it bursts, you're far too late. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. That's, that's what drives us to be here, folks, to do what we're doing with you. Because I, 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 you know, we studied the Great Depression. Most folks don't. But as I say, if it is the case, and it was historically, that you, life expectancy was mid-50s, took over two decades for stocks to come back. That's assuming you didn't spend a dime and you held the stocks that just crushed you 89%. I don't think that's very realistic. And then real estate, New York has always been the captain of commerce, right, in the world. It's hard to imagine a 70% loss just a year later. So as I say, $2 million suddenly becomes 400,000 in a year or two or three, two and a half. And, and then the, the prices don't come back. I, I have to imagine people spent a lot of time preparing for going to heaven. That's why I think everybody's going, by the way. Uh, so, but they, they, they lived in regret. Regret's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> so if you can... Uh, stay away from having a regret for anything, I think it's a little bit easier to have a nice life and to have a nice day. So we would not be surprised to give you some more numbers to consider that when it comes to areas like Cleveland, our research team is suggesting to the extent that there might be a decline, it could be at 13%. Now, as I say, if that doesn't bother you, then you could probably weather it. Or if you don't care about this money, you could probably weather it. On the best coast, that would be the West Coast, the decline in California could be about 50%. And, and so nobody's ready to accept that as a possibility. But that's my point. You, you won't know it until it happens. And we have seen uh, in some areas right here in Westlake Village, Thousand Oaks, people don't remember it, but we do because we tracked it. Areas like uh, Westlake Village, Thousand Oaks, North Ranch, were off 40 to 50% in uh, 2008 when the average decline for the country was more like 34%. So different markets do perform differently, but we kind of get a little comfortable and we, and we get very complacent and we don't see uh, the, the, what's happening around the world or what's happening in our neighborhood. And we just want everything to remain the same. That's complacency without recognizing that things have changed uh, a great deal. So maybe 13% for areas like Cleveland, maybe 50% for areas like uh, California. Uh, the ones that go up the most come down the most. It, it just seems to be that's the way the cookie crumbles. So we want you prepared to be able to weather the storm as opposed to 
being so disappointed that you feel like, oh my God, this is just, this is just terrible. So, you know, we're not having any fun anymore. So yeah, all these gains at, at some point just come to a close. And speaking of coming to a close, that's what we're going to do for physical fitness at this time. This is uh, John Grace and Daniel Medina. We look forward to being with you right here next week at uh, Voice America. We'll see you then. Thank you for tuning to Fiscal Fitness. Please join John Grace and co-host Daniel Medina again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have an excellent week.